You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. This week is the final sermon in our series, When God Shows Up. We've been emphasizing, desiring a greater experience of God's presence. So open your Bibles to Psalm 51. And uh, the, the message this morning is, is not super lengthy. I, I, we may go just a little bit over. We did in the first service, but with everything we've con- put in, in this service, I think you can still appreciate this. But I will be as brief as possible, but as clear as possible. So please um, give me your, your attention and your heart. Give God your heart, I should say. And let's jump into this incredible passage of Scripture right in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by David at a very specific time in David's life. David was going through a life-breaking experience. I put that word breaking in there for a reason because the title of the message today is that God shows up when I'm broken. And the emphasis of our worship time was on broken things and broken vessels and how that God can make beautiful things out of broken things. And so David was having this life-breaking experience. For many of us, that looks differently than it did for David. Sometimes it's a health crisis. Sometimes it's a financial crisis. Sometimes it's our own sin. And for David, it was that he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. It's It's a familiar story in Scripture, but David was in rebellion for over a year. He was running from God. He, he did he, he just some awful things were taking place in his life. But finally, a prophet by the name of Nathan. Nathan, bold Nathan, comes and points things out to David to get his attention. And David repented. And he went to a private place. And he wrote down what we have here. Right here, Psalm 51. It's a record of David's brokenness. Before the Lord. Let me read some of the verses to you. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Verse 7 Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken, let the bones that you, God, you have broken me, let those bones rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Now notice the verses that we want to focus on this morning. Verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or you would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, they are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, we're going to get to the good things that brokenness produces, but before we get to the good things... I want to draw you, your attention to, to some of the negative things. First of all, I want you to see here that there are some negative things within me. There are some negative things sometimes within you that keep God from showing up. 
And we've been identifying those things before we really get into the message. What are the things that actually repel God's presence? That if you will, push God away. Again, we recognize God is everywhere, but his manifest presence, experiencing God's presence in a real way is oftentimes he seems so distant. So let's begin with the negative thing. It's found in verse 16. It says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Number one, the first thing I want to say, and it's in your notes, is this, that God despises religious ritual. I I can't say that enough with enough enunciation, with enough intensity. If we want God to show up, we need to know this about God's heart, that God is totally not into religious ritual. In the Old Testament, there was something called the sacrificial system. And, and basically, and, and very simply, it, it was the way that people dealt with their sin. In the Old Testament, it was very complex. In fact, in some portions of Scripture, you'll find chapter after chapter after chapter about this sacrificial system and how it worked and all of its com- complexity. It's pretty intense. Basically, there were, they were to take certain animals for certain sins at certain times, offered on certain days in certain ways by certain people, <laughs> And all of that is basically how complex it was. I mean, that's just a very short way of saying this was very intense. But to make it simple, to simplify it some, they would take an animal, and they would bring this animal to the priest. And the priest would then examine the animal. It had to be a a spotless lamb or goat or animal, whatever the family could bring. And then this animal would, would be slain at this altar. And the blood would be spilt out, offered up in a flame before God. And if, if, if payment would be made, then God said, I will place my wrath on that sacrifice on the altar and not on you. Simply put, that was it. How significant then are the words of John the Baptist when we think about that in the New Testament in which we live the first words that John the Baptist said about Jesus was John 1.29, where he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. Oh, I'm saying to you, church, today that we have found in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, the one time, once for all, complete, innocent sacrifice for our sin. Amen and hallelujah for that. This is why Jesus came into the world. Sometimes you'll hear teaching about this continual sacrifice that that Jesus, he died on the cross and he continues to die on the cross. And sometimes you'll see symbols of this. Maybe, not that I'm saying this is wrong, but it's something that oftentimes, I grew up in a religious system like this. That it was was the death of Christ and he died just about every Sunday in our church. And and we, we were big on statues and crucifix and wearing uh, you know, crucifix on, around our neck. And, and all of that was in, insinuated that there was some sort of continual sacrifice that was being offered for our sin. When Scripture is very clear when it says in Hebrews 9 that it's appointed a man once to die and after this comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. All through the book of Hebrews, we see this once for all, once for all, once for all. 
Jesus was offered for sin, but today he is exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. And at, the na- at his name, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, we can live today because of what Jesus did for us once for all in victory every day. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. And that is something to rejoice about. But back to the sacrificial system for just a moment in the Old Testament. Because God despises religious ritual. And so although God had given them a clear way, very clear way to deal with their sin, what had happened is after a while, it became a ritual. Hey, Joe, I heard you kind of Messed up pretty bad. Yeah, I got my lamb. Don't worry. I'm heading out to the priest. It'll all work out. In fact, I'm glad I got a big flock because I sin a lot. But it'll all work out. You know, a little blood here, a little blood there. Just kind of goes away. I love this system. Sin, lamb, sin, lamb, sin, lamb, sin, lamb. No big deal. It became ritualistic. And the point was that God hated that. In fact, Jesus said, or rather the scripture says very clearly in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13 that the Lord said because the people, they drew near with their mouth and they honored Christ with their lips, but their heart was far from me. In that scripture, basically what God is saying is this, you get an A for talk and an F for walk. Notice in Isaiah chapter 1, let me read you God's heart in this regard. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 11, God says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? What are you doing this for? Says the Lord, I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of your well-fed beast. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? God says, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. I can't endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. Your new moon, your appointed feast. God says, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Well, that's Old Testament, preacher. I I, I kind of figured you might say that. So so lest we be too hard on the people in the Old Testament, let's remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as we see the people in the Old Testament have a tendency towards going through the motions, could we be guilty of, oh, it's Sunday again. Got to get my check mark for the week. I'll be able to tell everybody I came to church tomorrow. I came late and left early, but it's no big deal. If we're not careful, we actually think that God is impressed that we go to church. If we're not careful, we actually think that somehow God is impressed by the fact that we are here, but in our hearts are not into it, but God is not impressed with that. And the first step to the blessing of brokenness is to recognize that God is going after the tendency for you and I towards spiritual ritualism. He's going after that. He actually hates it. Going through the motions, singing the songs. It's almost time to go. I wonder if he'll ever stop talking. 
God had to break me of that. Yeah, this is my 29th year of pastoring, but can I tell you, you're looking at a former spiritually ritualistic pastor. I was more about the order of service than the Holy Spirit working. I was more about, you know, let's open in prayer, let's close in prayer, but make sure the prayers, you know, let's put two minutes for the prayer, you know, because we've got to go on to the next thing. And I may be exaggerating to make a point, but I'm not far exaggerating. In fact, I might be under-exaggerating. The truth of the matter is, is it got very, hey, prayer meetings weren't prayer meetings. I don't know why we called them prayer meetings. We had them on Wednesday night. And basically, I don't even know if we prayed. We just kind of walked in, sang a few songs, the same ones we sang on Sunday, preached another sermon, had a little small time of prayer. And I'm not being critical of a little small time of prayer, but I'm just telling you, it became ritualistic. Sunday night services were ritualistic. It was coming back to do the same thing that we had just done. We prided ourselves more in being able to say three to thrive than we did actually enjoying the presence of God. And God began to break me. And so very secretly what I did was I bought a plane ticket. Now you may be thinking if you've, if, if, if you've never heard anything like this, you, you, you may not be connecting, but I'm asking you to be sensitive enough to connect this story in your life, maybe in a different context. I bought this plane ticket because I didn't want anybody to know that I was going to be flying to Brooklyn, New York and going to a non-denominational church because you just don't do that. So nobody could know. Don't worry, I didn't use church money. (laughs) I just spent my own money and I bought a plane ticket. Only person that knew was my wife. I flew to Brooklyn and I stayed at a ho- I took a cab. There was no Ubers back then. It was about a $75 cab to the hotel that was 30 seconds away, a block away from the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. I'd heard about this prayer meeting on Tuesday nights. I heard it was like really a prayer meeting since I'd never been to one like that. I thought I'd try it out and see if what I'd been hearing was true. I just read a book from their pastor, Jim Cimbala, about fresh wind, fresh fire. And God was breaking me. So I go to this church and I decide to get there an hour early on a Tuesday night. And I was very discouraged because there were gobs of people on the sidewalks trying to get in. And I'm thinking, oh, great. I I spent all this money. I came here. I'm not even going to be able to get in. So I talked to one of the ushers at the front door and I just simply said, hey, what's what's going on here? And he said, oh, these these are lines of people that are waiting to meet with the pastors. See, all their pastors come at 3 p.m. every Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, and they stand in front of the church, and people begin to arrive by the hundreds because they need prayer. They're desperate for God. And so what we do is we just accommodate them, and we pray usually until about midnight, except for the prayer meeting. So these are just lines. Would you like to get in line? I said, no, I'm fine. I, I'm good. I, I just Can I go inside? All this was kind of scary to me. I know it shouldn't be, but... God was breaking me. And so I go inside, I get my little seat, and I'm comfortable where I'm at, you know, kind of like most of the time we are when we get to church, just kind of leave me alone, you know, and I'm sitting there, and next thing I know, this man by the name of Jim Simbola walks out and says, welcome to the prayer meeting tonight. He said, "Uh, listen, if you're in an aisle, and by the way, the aisles were still full outside, it was same thing. He said, we're going to pray with you if if we have to stay till midnight. So just come on in, get a seat, and then get back in line when we're done. I'm like, wow. And so I sat there until they said, stand for worship. And we stood for worship. They, they had what, I guess somehow we 
We call it contemporary worship or modern. I don't know exactly. I mean, to me, contemporary is just the day you're living in. It's just, it was, hymns were contemporary at one time. I don't understand all of the lingo and jargon that goes around with I just know this, that I was sitting there, and for the very first time in my life, I began to see people worship as if it was just them and God in the building. There was no performance. There was nobody singing something uh, by themselves. It was, it was like, we're all singing to Jesus and I'd never experienced it just like that. And words were on the screen. And I, I, at our church, we, we sort of felt like you had to have a hymn book. And you had to be looking at the words. And I'm not saying that was wrong. There was a day when that, but with technology now, it was so much easier to worship when you don't have to, you can, you, your hands are free, right? So this is all made possible by these new things that were in the church that we were afraid of. And, and all of a sudden, I'm worshiping for the very first time in my life as if I, it was just me and God in that building. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Symbolist said, you know what, I just feel led of the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh, this is not in the order of service. We can't be led by the Holy Spirit. I'm getting nervous. What's going to happen next? This is unpredictable. And he said, if you're a guest, remain standing. All of our members be seated. I'm like, wow. Either I lie and sit down and blend in, and it's hard to blend in. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, white boy from Arkansas, come on now, you know. And so I just stayed up. And Mr. Symbol has said, if you're a member of our church and you're sitting next to someone standing, I want you to stand with them and ask them to give you 10 prayer requests. We want to pray for our guest. African-American lady stood and said, sir, what can I pray with you about? And I began to give her these prayer requests. I mean, I just opened up. I was crying and she was writing down. And then Mr. Symbol has said, if we're done, I'd like to ask all of our guests to step into the aisle And if you're a member of our church, would you just gather around them, lay hands on them, and pray for them? Let's just meet with God. I found myself a very ritualistic Christian in the center of an aisle in a non-denominational church in downtown New York being prayed over by 15 or 20 people. And God broke me. I realized this is so much more about our ritualistic, denominational, what we learned in college thing it's bigger than that and God began to break me through fervent passionate broken hardness before God and today I confess to you as we begin this message and actually we're probably already halfway done so don't get nervous but I declare to you that we we declare war on spiritual ritualism at gospel light not just for the first 29 years but for the next 29 years God hates it and we should hate it too But if we do, there'll be a cost involved. There's going to be some things that have to go to the side. If we want God to show up and work, then we got to understand God despises religious ritual, but God delights in genuine brokenness. He delights it. He loves it. He loves brokenness. He loves it. He loves it when he sees within his people. He loves it when he sees within his people an admission of their weakness and genuine brokenness and a dependence, a total dependence upon him. And when it's genuine and real, back to Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise 
What is he saying? God is saying that he will never reject the person who comes to him in genuine humility and brokenness and desperation. God will not reject that. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And yet we're taught as kids to hate broken things. We grow up with this mentality that is just very bad when something breaks, a broken toy. I remember being a kid and, you know, my, my toy gun would break and I'd cry and whine and throw a fit because it was broken. I remember sometimes sneaking into the kitchen when my mom couldn't hear me and I would try to grab something out of my reach and before I could, I would knock something over the counter and it would break on the ground and then she would hear that awful sound, right? You ever heard that? And we all turned, ever been in a restaurant? And it breaks and everybody kind of, you know, broken things, broken bones, broken glass, broken toys. And then we get older and we still hate broken things, broken hearts, broken promises. And we learn to hate broken things. But that's not the way that God looks at it. God delights in broken things. God delights in brokenness and broken things because it is in our brokenness that God can do all of the things that he longs to do in us. And so I want to give you three blessings of brokenness. Number one, I want to give you a picture of it. Brokenness is pictured all throughout the scriptures. You find brokenness from the very first book in the Bible when you look at the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve who had broken fellowship with God and yet God restored and reached out to them and restored them and brought them back into fellowship. Job said in Job 17 and verse 1, my spirit is broken. In Psalm chapter 23, we find this amazing psalm that is really almost everyone's favorite passage of Scripture The shepherd's psalm here where, and I read a book years ago from a guy by the name of Philip Keller, and I learned in that book how to rightly tell the story of verse 2. Verse 1 says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 2 says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. I, I, I didn't know what that meant until I read Philip's book. He told the story of, he said this, that every shepherd would know this. Every shepherd you talk to would know this is what Jesus meant when he said, he makes me lie down. Because there would be one little lamb that would constantly get out of the fold. Constantly. He'd run away and and so the shepherd would have to go get him, lasso him up and bring him back in the fold and scold him real good and maybe spank him on the back end and push him into the flock and then the next day he's gone again. And the shepherd would go and get the, 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 the sheep and the little lamb and bring him back to the fold again and again and again. This stubborn rebellion lamb would get out of the fold and be brought back until the shepherd finally realized it's hard, but I've got to do it. And he'd take that little lamb, Mr. Keller said, and he'd put him on his lap, and he would take that little tender leg and break it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Brokenness. 
pictured in that wonderful story. Because sometimes God has to break us and God has to allow things to be broken in our lives so that we can see how desperate we are for him. New Testament, the woman with the broken box of perfume. Do you remember that story in Matthew chapter 26 that the woman comes to him with an alabaster flax of expensive ointment and although the version I'm using says she poured it out on him, some translations say that she broke it and poured it out. She gave everything she had and broke it for Jesus. I love that song that Steve Green wrote now 30 years ago, broken and spilled out just for the love of Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus himself, some of his final words in Matthew 26, 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it as a picture of his broken body. Brokenness is pictured all throughout Scripture because God loves it. And then we see brokenness defined. And if you and I were to define brokenness, it may... It it, it may be something we're shocked to hear because I think some of us are like, I'm okay with broken bread, but broken bones? Broken, my life broken? So what do you mean, preacher? What, 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 What exactly is brokenness? Here's the definition, and it's in your notes. It's an ongoing attitude of humility before and desperation for God. And if I were you, I think the key, and I'm not sure what the line is there that I left open, but the, what I should have made as the blank is the word ongoing. Because that's the key word. It's continual. It's ongoing. So question, have you ever been broken before? Because brokenness does not just say, God, I need you, but God, you're all I need. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. We used to sing that at our church quite often. God's everything. You are my strength. Brokenness is is an empty-handedness before God. No demands, no request. Brokenness is falling into the arms of a loving father and finding him to be enough. Brokenness is saying no to the clamoring voice of your flesh. No to the pride and self-confidence that has made you restless and unhappy for so long. And saying yes to the longing for God that is deep within every person's soul. It's deep within your soul. Every person has something inside of them that can only be filled with Jesus. And sometimes God has to break us to bring us to that place where we will be desperate for him because it is something that all of us have. Everyone has it. It's the story of our lives, whether we admit it or not. And with permission this morning, because sometimes I I know that, that, that things are sensitive or things are private, but with permission, this is the story of Jeff and Courtney Manthe. It's the story of a couple in our church, like you, like them. For them, it was no children. It it just prayer and fasting and anointing with oil and 
it just seemed like everything had been done that should be done and could be done. And what is it that God's not doing here? But as opposed to putting it on God, it's just like, what is God teaching me? And as God began to break this couple, he began to show them that he had a, a, another plan. It's not that he won't come back to another plan, but at this point, his plan has been for them to enter into the fostering ministry of the church. And through compact services, they have now had over 10 children that have seen the love of Jesus in their home. Four presently right now under the age of three living with them as we speak in our, probably in our nurseries right now, if not with families that, you know, taking care of them. My point is this. God has broken them and they're actually okay with it. They've seen what God can do and how God is working. And God's plan is always good and always right. And they have found God in their brokenness. Brokenness defined. Brokenness pictured. But what about this? Brokenness broken down. Let's just break it down for a minute because at the end of the day, I think some of us are wondering, you know, wait a minute. Now, what is this going to take and and, and how does this affect me? Well, have you ever seen the movie Black Beauty? It's, 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 it's a really good movie, but basically it's about this stallion that, they, that somebody wanted, to, to make it simple. And, and so to go get that stallion, you, you've got to break it if it's going to become yours. So what do you do? You put a bridle in its mouth, and somebody's got to ride it, not me. But somebody's got to get on that stallion and break it. And so it is with us. Somebody needs to help break us. So we can be used, so we can be effective, so we can understand how, how much we're loved by God. And so we bring to God our brokenness, and he begins to break us down. And sometimes it has to do with the things we say, because stubborn people say some really selfish things. Things like, it's going to be my way or the highway. And God says, oh no, that's got to go. No, that's not how it works. Or sometimes it's in our pride we say, well, I'm just better than they are. I'm better than those folks over in Haitia. I mean, it's not my fault they weren't born in America. I mean, I get it, Scott, but I'm, we're just better. We're better because we're Americans. We're better because we're this race or we're this color. Or we're better because we've got this much money. Or we're better because we live on this side of town. God says, all that's got to go. I've got to break you of that. Or maybe it's our independence. I can make it without you, God. Watch me. And God says, these are the things I'm going after. These are the attitudes that I'm going after. And so you may ask, well, what are some of the tools that God uses to break us? I believe that God uses whatever he wants to use. Broken health, broken careers, broken dreams, broken relationships, a broken heart. God uses these broken things so that we can rid our lives of these things which are keeping him from showing up. Because God shows up when we're broken. And so the question comes, as Craig actually addressed, unscripted, but addressed it. He said, you know, it's really tough. Or maybe it was Scott, one or the other, who addressed this idea that, you know, well, how could a loving God, I just remember one of them talked about, you know, how could God, if, this, if God really loves us, then, then why would this happen? And why would he do this? And wh- why would he allow this? And we seem to put God on trial in these moments where God is actually allowing us to be broken. 
And can I recommend this to you? We need to kind of get off of the why would God trip. We need to remove that from our vocabulary and we need to stop being so concerned about what our hardships say about a loving God and instead we need to be concerned about what no hardship says about us. What does that really say about us? I mean, if we're not experiencing any hardship, are we really one of his? I doubt it. Based on Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 5 and 7, have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as a son or a daughter. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is a perfecting love. And I believe that in this room, there's not one person that could not locate something in their life right now that is life-breaking. Right now. As we come to the close of the message, we've talked about David and Bathsheba. We've talked about, you know, David. We've talked about uh, uh, Adam and Eve. And we, we've mentioned this woman with this alabaster box. We've, we've even talked about a family in our church. And we've, we've used different illustrations. In just a moment, I'm going to close with some identifying with some brokenness in my own life. And, and simply, I'm simple. Well, I already did, really. I shared with you a personal story about God breaking me. Could I... Could I just for a moment say you are being broken right now, whether you want to admit it or not, because God's after you if you're his child. Well, I don't know why I'm lonely. God does, and he's using your loneliness. I just don't know why I'm sick. God does, and he's going to use it. Well, I'm just not sure why I'm suffering. It's okay. God is using that too. God is in control. I don't understand it all, but God allows what God allows for a purpose. I believe that God does that so he can bring me to a place once and for all where I see and embrace the sufficiency of God in all things. God's in control. His grace is sufficient. Brokenness is trying to get me to say some things. Like I can't, but you can. I'm nothing, but you're everything. I won't, but you will. About, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, it was in the early years of our church plant that I read a book called A Tale of Three Kings, A Study in Brokenness. It was a life-changing book at that time in my life. It's a book about King David and Saul and the whole story about their lives and relationship and how God, I'm going to read just one or two inserts, but who in this room right now would say, Man, I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down, preacher. There's, there's something in my life right now that I'm being broken and experiencing brokenness. All right, I see that hand. I'm going to give it to you. Let me give you this book right in the back row. Hey, Jeremy. Uh, oh, Vince, you're on the front row. Can you bring it back? Come on up here halfway. Meet him halfway. I'm going to give you that book. Hopefully it'll be a blessing. It's the first hand I saw, so. David was caught in a very uncomfortable position. However, he seemed to grasp a deep understanding of the unfolding drama in which he had been caught. He seemed to understand something that few of even the wisest men of his day understand, something that in our day, when men are wiser, still even fewer understand. And what was it that David understood? That God did not have, but wanted very much to have, men and women who would live in pain. 
God wanted a broken vessel. What does this world need? Gifted men and women, outwardly empowered, or individuals who are broken and inwardly transformed. God has a university. It's a small school. Few enroll, even fewer graduate. Very, very few indeed. God has this school because he does not have broken men and women. Instead, he has several other types of people. He has people who claim to have God's authority and don't. People who claim to be broken and aren't. And people who do have God's authority but who are mad and unbroken. And he has regretfully a mixture of everything in between. You say, man, those are hard words to hear, preacher. Man, that, that's, that's difficult. That's tough. But how many times can I suggest to you How many times do we look back on our lives and some of the most difficult things that we've been through and we have some of the most precious memories of those times? It's like those were the greatest moments of our life. And then in contrast to that, the easiest times in our lives are the shallowest times. When everything's going just fine and we have no problems, we are shallow spiritually. We don't seem very close and intimate with God. It is through those broken times where we actually experience the most precious moments with Jesus. I've come to the conclusion that the painful times of life are not nearly as bad as we make them out to be. Maybe that's why James said in James chapter 1 and verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into trials. Of various kinds. In closing. Well how long is this supposed to last preacher? Can you give me a little update on timing? I mean is this like a six month deal? An eight month deal? Three months? A year? Is it like pregnancy? Nine months? And then we have the baby and everything's good. How long? What is the duration of brokenness? When do I get fixed preacher? How do I get fixed? Well, actually, we're not supposed to have it all together. Honestly, fixing us is really not necessarily accomplished in this lifetime. Externally, sometimes we do better. I mean, right now, I feel like I'm at a time where externally I'm doing better than a lot of times. I feel like I've kind of got it more together I'm in a season where I could say that I I feel that there's fewer things broken in my life or I'm not going maybe as intense right now, but hang on, I'm going to close with that thought. God wants a continuous, ongoing attitude of brokenness. So I look back over my life and I remember I was born and then my family broke. My mom and dad were divorced and so I'm from a, what what do we call it? A what? A, a, A broken home. It's not easy. I mean, it is what it is, you know. Your mom moves to Arkansas. Your dad lives in Louisiana. You try to figure this thing out. You're a kid living in two places and two houses, and it's like every other weekend with dad. And, you know, you overhear some of the arguments on the phone, and you're, you know, you're asking if dad's child support's coming. I mean, I get it. I was raised that way. And then I got saved in an independent fundamental Baptist church, for which I am thankful for, by the way. You know what I have found out over time? It's not just the IFB or the SBC or the Presbyterian or Methodist, whatever initials they give themselves. It's, it's, every denomination is broken. Broken people, pastors that fall into sin, youth pastors that molest children. It's awful. It's disgusting. It's sick. I get it. It's horrible. But it's not just confined to our little world. We live in a broken world. And denominations aren't the answer. Jesus is the answer. 
But I, I did. I, I got saved in this church, and six months later, the associate pastor had an affair with a teenager in a hotel. And I'm sitting there as a new convert thinking, oh, I thought this was like supposed to be all good. And the way they handled it was to kind of brush it under the rug, and he was the associate pastor in one year again. How awful is that? Well, it's just we live in a broken world. A lot of broken people, broken decisions, broken pastors, broken mindsets, ritualistic religion. And then my wife got very sick when I married her. I mean, I married a sick woman. I didn't know how sick she, she was when I married her, but she, we've been talking about it some because she's kind of recently gone through some things, and she's a little better now. But she kind of recently had about three stints in the hospital. But she, she lived at the hospital for a while. I mean, weeks and months at a time and went through a lot of things that were really tough. She actually lost her colon, had an ileostomy for a while. And a lot of things that she went through health-wise. And so I got married and immediately found out my wife's health was broken and remains broken. And then we had a miscarriage in our lineage of children. And then also... We had a special needs daughter named Glorianne. And so one day when we finally got her diagnosed, about three years in, I texted my wife and I said, what exactly is this feeling McDermott syndrome? And I kept the text that she sent to me 12 years ago. I'm going to read it to you. It's cool. I just found this this morning. I was in my office thinking about Glorianne. I thought, I think I still have that text. I copied and pasted it right here. So Carolyn texts me, and she answers, well, Glorianne has what's called Phelan McDermott syndrome. It's, it's called, in the medical world, 22Q13 deletion. Eric, it's when the 13th quarter of the leg of the 22nd chromosome is broken. You see, the only thing wrong with my daughter, she's just like you. But the 22nd chromosome, one leg of that chromosome is broken, and so she's broken. You say, have you, have you ever just wanted her to be just like Chloe? I mean, wouldn't it be great to have two Chloes? Well, maybe in the beginning, can I confess to you, when I didn't realize what God was doing, yeah, it was kind of tough. We were kind of, if God is loving, remember that? Oh, yeah. And now, one Chloe's enough. And one Glorianne's enough. <laughs> but I wouldn't trade Glorianne for a million Chloe's because Glorianne is what God has used to change my life. I live with a broken child, with a broken mind, with, 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 she, with the, literally in the definition of her syndrome is brokenness. And then the transition of our ministry, I mean, here I am pastoring the successful church when buildings are packed and offerings are high. And, and then God says, but you're doing it all wrong. And I go to New York and I come back and I start slowly changing things. And the ministry goes from 1,500 to like 600. And the school goes from 150 to, to 50. And the college goes from 300 to 30. And I'm sitting at a desk with a banker saying, we're going to foreclose in 30 days. God bless you. Yeah, that's us. That's me. That's your 29-year-old celebrating pastor. It's been a good life. Yeah, that's all in my lineage of pastoring this church. You say, man, you're so positive. No, I'm just broken. And when broken people love brokenness, they can stay positive. 
Because they see God in it all. And I know now that it was because of that God allowed that to happen. God was behind all of that. You say, wait a minute, but we make stupid mistakes and our sin causes that. I get it. But God can take that and use it when we give him glory for him. And we will repent and get right like David did. I would trade those six or seven things for anything. The duration of, of our brokenness is ongoing. Let's try to finish this and get it all together. So my final note in your notes is when God gets the external put together, let's keep the internal part still broken. So when we get it all together and we're like, you know, hey, Marlena, how are you? You know, life's great. It's awesome. Let's make sure we stay humble on the inside. It's only awesome because of God's grace. And even if it changes, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes. Eat your heart out, Craig. Yes, I will bless your name. Man, if I was lead singing, I'd be dancing up here. I don't know how these guys stand still. Chloe does a little bit, but come on, Chloe, get with it, man. (laughs) Yes, I will, God. I'll lift you high in the lowest valleys. Now, it's nice when I'm on the mountaintop, God, so if a few times in my life I could be up there, I'd really appreciate it. (laughs) But I'll keep the internal broken. So what if you just decide this message was nice and funny at times, but not for you? And that's okay, I get it. Not here to force anybody into brokenness. But what if you were to say, Pastor, is there, is there anything about, like, I don't want to be broken. I don't want any part of that. Well, I've got a verse for you. I just want to share it with you in love. It's Hosea chapter number 10, verse 12, where it says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your Hard heart, your fallow ground. I'm not a farmer. Born and raised in New Orleans, college in Chicago, and married a girl from LA. Ain't much farming in those cities. But I did learn a little bit about farming in school, and I found out fallow ground is hard ground. It's, Jeremy, you might know more about this. You know, you've, you've had some southern living, right? And so, you know, fallow ground is ground that's been neglected and it's unproductive and it's hard and it's, the sun's beat upon it. And, and, and so it, it, it's unfruitful. And sometimes our hearts are that way. They just become hard. Maybe something God's trying to get you to do and you won't do it. You've just become hardened to it. Maybe it's a decision. He's been knocking on your door for a long time and you just keep rejecting him and your heart has gotten hard. And maybe it's something that God wants to change in your life, a character trait. I mean, God wants to change that in you, but you're just like, I'm not willing to change it. Could I suggest to you that you allow this morning God to break up that fallow ground in your heart. Respond. Repent. Be broken. And then you say, well, what happens if I do that? Psalm chapter number 34, verse 17. When the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near when God shows up. The Lord is near to the broken heart and he saves the crushed in spirit shall we pray Father I thank you Lord Jesus I thank you God today it's a celebration 
of a broken church, of a broken pastor, who God has found out that you really do hate some things. And one of those things is my religious ritual, my spiritual ritualism that God for so long, Lord, I thought was just the way to go. I mean, it's just going through the motions. And as long as I show up, you're okay. And God, I found out that you want more than that. You want a relationship with me. Father, you want to be close to me. You want to draw near to me. And Father, I just need more desperation for you. And I pray upon this congregation, Lord, an admittance of our brokenness, a need for a Savior to come and rescue us from our sin, and that every day offer to us, Lord, your wisdom and your strength and your guidance, that we might be totally dependent upon you, your grace is sufficient. God, may we get rid of our pride, our stubbornness, and our independence and replace it with brokenness and humility before you. God, I love you. May we respond as you have led us to in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand again?